Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you again. Uh, my name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here at Dogwood Church. This morning, as I was uh, in, in the lobby, uh, a friend of mine who um, I see on Sunday morning came up and went, man, where have you been? And so uh, many of you know that we have uh, been looking for uh, our next uh, student pastor. And so in the meanwhile, I've been filling in over in the multipurpose building, so I'm not over here quite as much. So no, I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. I'm thankful to be here, uh, honestly, which is a good thing. So shameless plug, plug for the student ministry. If you want to be involved in helping to shape the life of the next generation, we could use your help over there in middle school and high school. If you're interested on the back of that communication card, I heard somebody clapping. That's right. Absolutely. Um, uh, put on there uh, DSM, and I'll know to give you a call. Uh, we'll talk with you and see how you can plug in over there. Um, so now, question for you. Uh, how many of you have ever had a case of mistaken identity? Maybe you uh, thought somebody was somebody else, or maybe somebody else thought you were somebody. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, it's pretty common sometimes. So uh, my family and I, we got to go uh, to Colorado to go skiing um, out back in February. And uh, man, it was an amazing trip. I hadn't been out west to see like big mountains uh, in over 20 years. And so it was, it was awesome to be out there and see the, just God's creation, to be able to enjoy it. Uh, the whole trip was amazing, except for the last run of the last day where my wife fell and tore her ACL. Um, and so she's recovering from surgery on that. So in a lot of ways, we're still reliving that vacation. Um, but overall, it was a very good uh, experience and good trip. Now, I grew up here in Georgia, uh, and so for me, when it's snowing outside, man, I bundle up. I don't know if you do, but I bundle up, uh, and it takes me a while. So if you've seen the movie A Christmas Story, you know, Ralphie's little brother, um, when he walks outside, you know, he's, his arms are like this, and somebody comes and pushes him down, they automatically just go back up. That's me going out to the ski slopes, and so it takes me a while to get everything on, and then to reach down and get all the ski boots and all that kind of stuff. So um, we were staying uh, in a little condo place uh, that, was, that happened to be slope side. So it was awesome because when it was lunchtime or if you got cold or you just got tired, you could go inside, hang for a little bit, cook lunch, do whatever you needed to do, and um, then we'd go back out. So this particular day, we had gone and we had lunch. We had started to get all the ski stuff back on again. Remember, I'm the kid from A Christmas Story. Uh, it takes me forever. So Lindsay and Caleb had gotten done quicker than me. I think Luke was actually done too, but he decided to wait on me. And so Lindsay and Caleb said, hey, listen, we're going to meet you outside, because now it had gotten hot in the condo, because we're all bundled up, right? They go, we're going to meet you outside down by the skis. And I went, got it, I can do that. We'll meet you outside down by the skis. So I finally get dressed, takes forever to get the ski boots on. Now, if you've, if you've done rental ski boots before, you know they're not the most comfortable things to walk in, right? And so you kind of have to do what I call almost like the stormtrooper march, sort of. You know, if you've done it, you know, you go heel, and then you kind of rock forward and kind of take a big, huge step, and you hope your heel hits something solid, and you just kind of keep going that way. Well, in order to succeed at that for me, I have to watch down. I mean, I'm looking down at my feet the entire time. I'm watching to see, am I going to slip on ice? Am I going to step on something that someone left their ski pole out in the hallway or something like that? So I, I look down, right? So Luke and I go, we make our way down the hallway to the elevator, which is one of the slowest elevators in the world. So we hit the button, it finally gets there, you know, we're starting to sweat, things are a little miserable, doors open, nobody's in there, I'm like, great, okay, so I, I do my little stormtrooper walk into the elevator, and I'm looking down, 
Because inside the elevator, there's no carpet, and I'm worried that there might be you know, snow or water, and then I would slip and fall and tore my ACL, which is really what I thought about when I was in the elevator. I'm not trying to be funny there um, with Lindsay tearing hers. But, but that's what I was thinking. We stop on floor two. The doors open. This lady gets on with us. She's a little older than I am. And so I kind of look up. Now, again, I've got my goggles on. Really, I hopefully, hopefully she doesn't know who I am. Um, I said, hey, and then I'm looking back down at the floor. Now, we're all in the same boat because we're all renting skis and boots from the same people. And so our boots all look the same. They're all black. So I'm looking down at the floor. When you get to the bottom of the, of the, of, of the elevator, floor one, you have a choice to make when you get off the elevator. It's only one of two things. Actually, there's three. You could choose to stay on and take half your life and go back up if you wanted to. But really, if you're going to get off the elevator, there's two choices you can make. One is you go to the right and you'd go to the parking deck where our cars are parked. There's also these lockers in there where we would sometimes store our skis. Or you could go to your left, which is to the slopes, right? Now, where was I going? To the slopes, because that's where Lindsay and Caleb said we would meet you at the slopes. So, the doors open, I don't look up, I'm looking down, I see my feet, and I see other black boots. One set of black boots walks out the door and heads to the right. I went, huh, someone's going to the parking garage. Another set of boots goes to the left. I think that's Luke's feet. They're black. So I follow those. Well, now then to get outside, there's two doors that kind of was like a windbreak and a, and a storm break there. And the boots in front of me held the doors open for me so that I could walk out. And so I said, thank you. But I added something to my thank you. Now let me show you a picture here of a shirt that my son Luke likes to wear. 100% beast. We've changed that in our family. It's not just 100% beast shirt, it's nasty beast in our family. Now that's a term of endearment in our family. That's like, man, you've done something awesome. You've hit a home run playing baseball. You're a nasty beast. All right. Apparently not everybody thinks that's a compliment. So the doors go open for me. They're held open. And I say, thanks, you nasty beast. <laughs> now, yeah, I still laugh about it. I mean, if I think about it long enough, I laugh about it. I'm still looking down. All I saw was boots. But I hear a woman's voice respond back to me. I look up. Sure enough, it's not Luke standing there. It's this lady. My eyes, I'm sure you could see through my goggles because my eyes probably got that big around each. And I have no idea what she said back to me. I have no idea. I was in shock. As she continued to walk, sorry, as she continued to walk down the trail, I just stood there. I was like, what do I do? I can't apologize. She's so far down the thing, I just stood there and laughed. And so Luke finally comes back from the parking garage and he goes, Dad, what are you laughing at? And I told him, and he goes, Dad, you're so dumb. I was like, yeah. I was like, but I'm not the one who went to the parking garage when you weren't supposed to. I was like, son, help me out, right? Terrible case of mistaken identity. Now, my eyes were open. I was paying attention, worried about what was happening to me, right? But I was not paying attention to all that was going on around me. And there was a terrible case where I offended this lady. Lady, if you happen to be listening to this, know that I'm sorry. Know that it really is a compliment to say nasty beast to someone. Um, We come to a spot in, in the Gospel, in the Gospel of Luke, where where these people were interacting with Christ and all that was going on. And in a lot of ways, they had their heads down. And what they saw were black ski boots. They weren't really paying attention and they terribly misidentified who Jesus was. This, uh, the account of this story is uh, found 
in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. If you've got a Bible, I want to ask you to turn there. We're going to be uh, there for a little bit today. So Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. Afterward, He, meaning Jesus, was on His way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with Him. Just as He neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was His mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then He came up and He touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And He said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Will you pray with me? Father, as we study your word this morning, Give us ears to hear Your voice. Give us eyes to see who You are. And Lord, may may we not leave this place unchanged. May studying Your Word today cause us to love You more, to serve You more, and to love other people in incredible ways. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now I want to remind you of a couple of things about Luke before we dissect and understand what's going on in this passage. Uh, The author of Luke was a guy named Luke. Uh, He was a physician, and he was an intense follower of Jesus. Now, being a physician means that he was um, he was intelligent, he was wise, and he was probably for that day he was probably very meticulous in all that he did and what he wrote down. Now, he's writing his book to a guy named Theophilus. Now, what he's writing about is he's helping Theophilus to understand, without a shadow of a doubt, who Jesus was. That's what he's trying to clarify for Theophilus, and that's what he's really trying to clarify for you and I. Who is this Jesus? What is he all about, and why is he here on earth? Because, after all, they knew he was a man. They knew he was a carpenter. But, they, but Luke wanted Theophilus, and he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God. We're going to see how he does that. Verse 11, afterward, Jesus was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Now, two weeks ago, if you were here, Pastor Keith started earlier in chapter 7, and he talked about and and taught us about where Jesus raised another boy to life. This boy was the centurion's son, and the point of that story in Scripture was simply to help us see um, how faith impacts our journey. We saw God's power by raising uh, a little boy to life, but it was about the centurion's faith. Jesus here, he's now after, just after that happened, he's, he's traveling to a place called Nain. And we don't know why he was going there, but he's going to a place called Nain. Now, most of us go, kind of a weird name. I'm thankful Peachtree City or Fayetteville or Fairburn or Griffin isn't named Nain. Don't really get it, but okay, great. But check this out. This is important to know this place. Why is it important? Because it is near the place where the prophet Elijah had lived hundreds of years before. Now, some of you are going, okay, great, prophet Elijah, I don't even know who that is. Just know this, that Elijah was a prophet of God years before Jesus. All right, you can read about his account in 1 Kings chapter 17. But in 1 Kings 17, in that same general vicinity, God used Elijah to bring back to life another little boy and hand him back to his mom. 
the people of Nain would have known that story. I mean, they, they, would, have, they would have been proud of that story. I mean, if, you're, if you were from Griffin, or if you are from Griffin, you know there's a few people from Griffin that are pretty, um, we'll say famous, historical figures. Doc Holliday, one of them, right? I mean, even here in Fayette County, we claim Doc Holliday. You go down to Fayetteville, there's the, um, the Holiday House, right? They would have been proud of the fact that Elijah was from their area. They would have known that. But you also have to know that the, that the, um, the Jewish people then, they would have known what we now call the Old Testament Scriptures. They wouldn't have called them Old Testament Scriptures, let's be clear. But they would have known those stories. They would have known them very, very, very well. And again, the people would have been proud of the story of Elijah because God did something through someone who lived and came from their area. Verse 12. Just as Jesus neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd followed from the city was also with her. Now, there's a couple things that we need to know about this verse. It was a Jewish custom back then to bury their dead the same day that the person died. Thus, the emotions would have been incredibly raw for the, for the widow, for the mom. I mean, emotions would have been just incredibly raw for that day. Then they would typically wrap the body in cloths and they would, they would lay them on a more like a stretcher contraption than a coffin. Our, our scriptures translate it coffin, but for them, a coffin isn't like what you and I think of. It has this lid that closes on it so you can't see what's going on or anything like that, but, it's, but they would have carried them out on this stretcher-like contraption. We see The grieving person in this account was a widow. Now, we know what a widow is. We, we understand that. Well, our hearts go out to her. But if you really understood what was going on back then, we would, we would feel that much more compassion towards this widow. Why? Because back then, a widow needed protection. They needed someone to care for them. There wasn't Social Security. There wasn't these property rights that would stay with her. In, in that culture back then, it was reliant upon your family to care for you. And if you didn't have a family to care for you, i.e. your son just died, you're now reliant upon the goodwill of the community to take care of you. And that's a bad place to be, right? To not have security. She was on a sure path to poverty. But Jesus. Listen, in verse 13 and 14, when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Let's stop there for just a second. If you ever show up at a funeral or to a hospital after someone's died, don't look at somebody and tell the family not to weep. That's a dumb thing to say. Right? If you would have said that when, when, when my dad died about a year and a half ago, I probably would have punched you in the mouth. Right? But unless, unless you know what's going to happen in the next 10 seconds, Jesus gets away with it. Why? Because He literally is about to do the impossible. And He knows what's about to happen. So He looks at the widow and He says, listen, I got this taken care of. Don't worry. Don't weep. Then he came up and he touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. First thing we need to notice is that the Lord Jesus actually saw what was going on. And in a lot of other accounts in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you'll read the story of where Jesus is walking along and people will call out to God, call out to Jesus. And they'll say, Jesus, help me. In this instance, this lady doesn't call out to Jesus. Jesus notices it, and He decides to act. So here's a question for you to write down. Are we, are you and I willing to be interrupted? Or, are we willing to be interrupted? Or, are we so busy with life 
that we don't care for people. The reality for most of us, if you're like me, the reality for me is it's not that I don't care about people. It's that I've allowed myself to live such a fast-paced life, running from one thing to the next, that I often don't even see the need in people. My guess is that's probably your case as well. Scripture then says that Jesus had compassion on the widow. The Greek word here for compassion is much deeper than our English word. We don't have a very good translation of that word. And so you have to really describe it just a little bit more. This compassion was this deep inward feeling that Jesus felt for this woman. Um, Deep down in his soul, he grieved for what she was going through. That's the kind of compassion that he felt. He says, "Don't, don't cry, don't weep, because I know what's about to happen. And then he proceeds to touch the coffin or stretcher, thus making himself technically unclean according to Jewish custom. This indicates to us that what Christ was doing here was actually a little bit inconvenient for him. You see, back then, if you were to have touched that coffin, that stretcher thing, or to have touched a dead body, makes you unclean. Meaning that in order to be able to head back to the temple to worship, you would have to go through um, a cleaning process to make yourself not unclean. All right. Now, there was all kinds of reasons for that, but one of the biggest reasons was they didn't want people to catch whatever someone had. All right, so there was very there were some very very good practical reasons for that, but Jesus was inconvenienced here because he was willing to touch a stretcher. He didn't just have compassion on the woman. He didn't just feel sorry for her. He was so moved that he actually did something about it that was inconvenient. So here's a question for you. It's going to come up on the screen. When or maybe this one doesn't. Um, when was the last time that you were so moved by compassion that you actually did something? It is up there. When was the last time that you were so moved by compassion that you actually did something? There's a guy that you might know, I I can't say his name out loud, but many of you guys would know him in this room. He was so moved by the the plight of of orphans uh, in a a country around the world that he started a ministry. And in this, this ministry is about helping to make sure that these orphans have the right physical care that they need. So they've got food, medical care, so that they have the right spiritual care. In, in the process of doing all that, he's connected with other smaller um, house churches that are around that country, and he, he helps to, to train and provide resources for them. Last time I spoke with him, thousands of people have come to know Christ through that little network of people in that country. Another name you might know, you might remember this guy, Justin Miller. He grew up here in our church about eight years ago, I think, when he was in college, maybe nine years ago. He and some college buddies heard about the HIV-AIDS crisis and, that was going on in, in the continent of Africa. And they said, you know what? We need to do something about it. Now, these are college kids. You know what? They did something about it. They started an organization that is now changing the lives of people called Care for AIDS. What does Care for AIDS do? It, it connects with churches in Kenya and Tanzania. And it, it helps that church become an HIV-AIDS center. For about eight months at a time, clients go through a program where they're taught how to have a a business, where they're taught how to um, care for themselves nutritionally, where they're taught how not to pass the disease on to other people, where they're taught how to care for themselves with the medicines that the government gives, where they're given resources to help get to the government where they can get the medicines that they need. Now, Hundreds of people have come to know Christ through that ministry. But one of the other cool things that's happened, kind of as a byproduct, I don't think that they, when they, when I was talking with Justin, they didn't start out with one of their key things now, which is this. They're helping to solve the orphan crisis in Kenya. Why? Because people don't 
die at an early age anymore in those villages and towns because they're being cared for. They're learning how to take their medicines. And so their kids, they're staying alive long enough for their kids to become adults. Now, I've given you two kind of set the bar really high examples, right? Because some of us are going, okay, that sounds cool. I know there's need out there, but I'm not sure that I could start one of those organizations. I can't start another ministry. And I get it. I get it. Here's the reality. I want to share another story. It's about, uh, this one's about Lindsay. And I don't tell you this story to pat ourselves on the back, but just to tell, to tell you this story that it doesn't always have to be the big, huge thing. Lindsay and I were driving home from Stone Mountain one day. We'd gone to spend the day out there. So we're driving home so we could get the kids off the school bus and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lady on 285 pulled over to the side. You could tell in, in trouble, needed help. I was going too fast to have gotten pulled over at that point. So we went up to the next exit, went across, came back 285, came back around, and she's still there. So we pull the car, our truck behind her and find out that she, uh, she had a flat tire. She doesn't speak English real well. And so... Um, we, we come to find out that she doesn't have the right tools to take the lug nuts off of her car. So, so I thought, well, maybe my truck would fit. It didn't. So we knew enough then to call 511, right? So the State Farm uh, Hero Unit gets there, uh, helps get her tire changed. Well, as Lindsay was talking with her, we realized she didn't have money to get a new tire. She was going to have to drive on the little donut of this for a while. And we said, well, that's not, well, that shouldn't be. So we gave the lady money to get a new tire. Now again, I don't tell you that to say, hey, look at us, because listen, honestly, I get it wrong more than I get it right. I miss it. I do. I'm, I'm just busy. I miss it. But it doesn't have to be starting care for AIDS. It could be that. Maybe God's calling you to do something like that. It could be, hey, I'm supposed to help somebody with a tire. It could be, I'm supposed to help somebody with lunch. It, it could just be anything. It could be that you just need to sit and talk with somebody. and Be Jesus to them. I also need to let you know that the interaction with the dead man is drastic, that Jesus has with this dead man is drastically different than Elijah's story from 1 Kings 17. Now, in 1 Kings 17, Elijah cries out to God and says, God, and now I'm paraphrasing, right? But he says, God, heal this boy. Raise him back to life. And he does that three times. And then what happens? God answers. God heals the boy and raises him to life. And then Elijah hands the boy back to his mom. In this story, we saw, what did Jesus do? He simply spoke. He said, I tell you to get up. And immediately, the man woke up. Jesus here, he's clearly showing. Because again, remember, people then, they would have known the first king's account. They would have known Elijah. They would have known that Elijah had called out to God. Jesus is making a stark contrast here. Similar miracle, way different, in that Jesus is saying, I'm God. I don't, I don't have to cry out to God the Father to do that. He says, get up. He's saying to everybody there that's watching, I am God. The problem is they all have their heads down and they're looking at the black ski board. They're not paying attention. In verse 15, we see what happens when Jesus speaks. The dead man, what happens? He sits up. And he begins to speak, and Jesus gives him back to his mom. Jesus, again, he's helping people to see that it was God at work in this situation. He's saying, here, pay attention to what's going on. I am God. 
The fact that the man got up began to speak shows that Jesus is God, that he had God's power, right? Different than Elijah's case. Now, let's look at verse 16. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet. Here's where they missed it. A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. They mistook Jesus for a prophet. They missed it. They said, uh, this man must be a great prophet. He must be a good person, but he's really not God. They misidentified him. I don't know if they were so consumed about what was going on in their own lives, why they missed it. I don't know if they had heard other stories about who Jesus was, and they were sitting there wondering, hmm, I wonder what Jesus might do for me. I don't know if they were so busy waiting on other people. Again, I don't, maybe they just weren't paying attention like I wasn't paying attention. But they missed it. And so here's a question for you that you need to write down and think about. It's probably the most important question of the morning is, have I misidentified Jesus? In other words, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who He is? Do you know Him as God? Let me look at some key passages that will help us to make sure that you don't miss it. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This means every single person in the world has fallen short of God's standard. Now, kind of a silly illustration, but I'm going to use it nonetheless. If you were standing on the top of Stone Mountain looking down at the field where you sit and watch the laser show. Y'all been there? You know what I'm talking about? All right, if you're standing at the top of Stone Mountain, you're looking out and you saw two people out there in the field. And, and those two people represented, one was the good person, right? Best person in the world you can think of. Most people say Billy Graham, so we'll say Billy Graham. And we'll say his goodness and his works are directly proportional to how high he can jump. And so he can jump like seven feet. It's awesome. He's great. Worst person in the world you can think of. Don't say that one out loud. All right? They can only jump seven millimeters. If you're standing on the top of Stone Mountain, and these people aren't running, they're literally standing in place and just jumping, trying to get to the top. And to get to the top, that's perfection. That means, okay, you're accepted by God. If you're standing at the top looking down, can you even tell the difference between seven feet and seven millimeters? You can't. There's no difference. So what this passage of Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. And Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us this, that the wages of sin, this falling short, is death. Death means eternal separation from God. But Romans 5.8 says that, um, that God gives us a gift. That God proves His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still spitting in God's face, so to speak, While we were shaking our fists in rebellion to God, God says, you know what? I love you guys and I'm going to send my son Jesus to pay the penalty of your debt so that you don't have to. Then Romans 10, 9 and 10. This is where it helps us to understand and not misidentify Christ. This is what it says. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is telling us, in in my words, it's saying, make Jesus your leader and your forgiver. Make sure you don't misidentify Christ. You can do that right now. You can pray and say, God, I want you to be my leader. I want you to be my forgiver based on Romans 10, 9 and 10. But the Luke passage doesn't end there. In verse 17, 
it says this. It says that this report of Jesus spread about Him throughout Judea and all of the vicinity. The people shared the good news that they saw about Jesus. The people saw this miracle, right? They saw this guy who was dead, who now no longer is, and people started talking about it. And the news of Jesus spread. Unfortunately, they didn't spread the right news about Him. They talked about a prophet. They didn't talk about Him being God's Son. Now here's the thing, church. You and I, we know that Jesus is God's Son. I'm going to guess that most of us in this room are already followers of Christ. Right? Most of us are probably already followers of Christ. And if so, the question for us is, are we willing to spread the good news as these people did? Are you spreading the good news of the Gospels? The, the final question for you this morning. You see, the people back then in Luke's story, Luke's account, they didn't even, they didn't even know Jesus as, as the Son of God or as God. They didn't know His life trans, transforming power. But you and I as followers of Christ on this side of things, we know it. Right? We know that God is working our lives, that God changes people's lives. He takes our inside heart and He gives us a new heart, makes us clean again so that we can be reconciled to God. And while these people didn't fully get God right, the one thing they did do that was awesome was they told everybody about it. The church, Dogwood Church. Are we telling people about the good news that He's done in our lives? Now how do you do that? You pray and you ask God to show you how. You ask Him to give you a heart for people that you come in contact with. To help you to see people and have, have a heart like His as much as you can stand it. That's what you pray and ask. You pray for the people in your life that don't know Jesus and then you take the risk and you help them. Even if it's inconvenient. And then you share the good news of the Gospel with them. You tell them about what Jesus has done. If you need more help on this, we, we have a class here that we call the Share Seminar. It's part of the Dogwood journey. If you want to learn about how to share your faith more effectively, that class is for you. On your communication card, just let us know. We'll sign you up for the next one. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. In an attitude of prayer. Some of you in the room, maybe for the first time, you've realized that you had misidentified Jesus. And that you need to make sure you get that right. Well, if that's you, then you can tell God in an attitude of prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask You to come into my life to be my leader and to be my forgiver. Now listen, if you prayed that, if you prayed that, God says You're a brand new creation. Our church exists to help people know who Jesus is and to grow in their walk with Him. On the back of your communication card is a little box that you can check that said, today I became a follower of Jesus. You'll check that box. Let us know about it. You can turn that in um, at the end of the service. Let us know about it. We'll get in contact with you and help you on that journey of following Him. Father God, I pray for myself and I pray for the people of Dogwood Church. Lord, help us to see people as You do. Help us, God, to be willing to stop and meet people's needs. And God, help us to take steps to help meet people's needs, even if it's inconvenient. And Lord, help us to do all of that in the process of helping people to know who You are. Lord Jesus, make it so in our lives.
so that this community, so that this town, this state would, would look different. It's in your son's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.